Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey, welcome to episode 31 of the Leadership Matters Podcast. My name is Jeremy, and we have another incredible episode lined up for you. This one is real, it's authentic and timely, and I just think you're going to get so much out of this conversation. It's a conversation I recently had the opportunity to have with uh, just another incredible leader by the name of Andy Moore. Andy currently serves as lead pastor of Glad Tidings Church out in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. And along with lead pastoring, Andy also serves on the lead team for ARC Canada, which is an organization that helps new and exciting churches here in Canada thrive. And so in this episode, I'm so excited about it, we talk all sorts of things. We talk leading millennials. Andy has a multi-staff that is just jacked right full of millennials that he's currently leading. He's not a millennial himself, so he talks about that and, and different practical ways of helping with that. He talked about leading while having COVID. That's right. Andy actually was diagnosed with COVID, came back from a trip. I won't tell you any more about it. And we just go so many places, so much more. Uh, I don't want to make you wait any longer. Longer. So here is my conversation with Andy Moore. I've got a very special guest, uh, Pastor Andy Moore, on the podcast today. And Andy leads a very vibrant church out in beautiful Victoria, BC. If you've never been before, I was there for the very first time a few years ago, and I can't say enough. We actually were thinking about how do we ship the kids out here because we're not coming home. <laughs> this is our new home. It, we were just that taken by uh, by beautiful Victoria, BC. Um, I, I first want my first introduction with with our guest on the podcast today was actually out at a conference we were visiting there. And uh, I, I, he was a keynote speaker at a general conference for our fellowship, the PAOC. And um, from the time I heard him, I just knew I had to connect with this guy at some point in life. And uh, as we began this podcast and started thinking of future guests and that, my mind was was uh, was brought back to uh, just one of the, the keynote sessions that he did at that conference. And I just thought, man, it would be great, even the insights that you shared there, it'd be great to get these and have that conversation. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes and get to all sorts of other things because there's so much going on in our world today. Um, and, and Andy is just an incredibly sharp leader that uh, I'm honored to have a conversation with today. But before we get to that stuff, Andy, I'm wondering if you would, first of all, welcome and uh, I'm wondering if you would take a moment and just kind of set this up for those of who are not aware of you, maybe a bit of your journey to pastoring, how you got into pastoring, you're a lead pastor now, um, maybe even give, have you always been a lead pastor or have, or have you held other ministry positions and just kind of a snapshot of how you got to where you are today. That would be great. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Just let me say what a privilege it is to be on the podcast with you today. And uh, it's just an honor. And um, I, I thank you for that introduction. Um, yeah. For me, ministry has been really the only uh, controlling passion um, of my, my life in terms of career. Um, I started in ministry very young, um, even to, like grade grade twelve, um, I started traveling and speaking and uh, okay. working with my youth pastor. Um, I'm from I'm from the United States. I'm from uh, the southern state, south, southwest. I'm from Arizona, and um, and so okay. I spent um, 
a season traveling in grade 12 and then jumped into ministry and continued on uh, my education while I was in ministry. My first youth pastor position was at 19. So that was 26 wow. years ago um, and yeah. uh, almost 27 years ago. So so ministry has been a control passion in my life. Um, the church, the local church has um, always had a sure. tremendous place in my heart. So, so in that, in that tenure, there has been a number of different roles I've played and, um, um, you know, experiences that I've had. Um, even when I first came to Canada, I worked with youth for, I was the, the executive director for the Victoria chapter, um, for a season okay. before I jumped on staff at the church I now pastor. So, oh yeah, lots of other positions beside lead pastor, Right. Uh, 15 years right. uh, straight of youth ministry, um, which was just super fulfilling. Um, and I literally have students all across the United States uh, working in churches and leading ministries. Um, wow. And that is super rewarding. I mean, I just love following yeah. their stories. No doubt. Uh, I bet you some of them don't even know I'm still following them, but I just love to see what God's doing in their lives. Yeah. Um, all across the Midwest, the United so cool. States. Um, it's really neat to see. So, so, um, so yeah, so youth ministry was a big piece. And then of course I did some young adult stuff, um, and, uh, alongside of youth ministry and then, and then sort of made a jump to, to, uh, doing young adult ministry specifically. And we planted, uh, in right. GT, which is the church I pastor. Now we planted a young adult community on Sunday nights that, uh, that grew very large and, and had a tremendous amount okay. of influence in our region. Um, sure. And uh, uh, that was super fun, very exciting. And, uh, and then I've, I've, I took the lead pastor role at my church, glad tidings church um, in Victoria um, six years ago, past the six year mark as lead pastor, but I've been on staff for 18 years. Wow. Wow. All at Glad Tidings. Yeah, yeah. That's why. Yeah, very, very cool. It's the so only place cool. I've ever lived in Canada and um, the only okay. church I've done ministry in uh, on a staff level. Right. Andy, you know, you've been all over the map. I didn't realize you were actually uh, American descent um, and, and spent years in Arizona, I think you said. Mm -hmm. um, that's so cool how you, you know, now up here in Canada and, and even the influence you speak of when it comes to past students that are all over the place now. I just think that's awesome. And, and you're right. That is the most rewarding part of ministry, mm -hmm. I think, at least one of them, um, if not the most. I'm wondering when it comes to, to lead pastoring, you said you spent 15 years, I think it was, in, in youth ministry specifically. And I just know I work with youth pastors specifically now, you know, mainly anyways. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I know, you know, the next generation of lead pastors, like we really do need some, some younger leaders that are going to say yes to lead pastoring and pastoring our churches as we hit this boomer kind of, you know, when many of them begin to retire, you know, and, and even pass on and, um, we're going to need more younger leaders stepping up. I'm wondering if, what would you say to any youth pastors who are maybe, maybe been contemplating that step and you've taken that step um, six years ago into lead pastoring, but maybe fearful, maybe have their concerns, just worried about jumping kind of off the deep end. I, I know it's easy as a youth pastor. I remember the days when, man, if I was just lead pastor, I'd change <laughs> this or do that. 
But then when it actually comes to taking the plunge, that's a different story right. because the, the buck really does stop with you as you, as you well know. And so I'm wondering, you know, even bring us back to those days six years mm-hmm. ago and what helped you take the plunge and, and make that big step um, uh, of becoming a lead pastor. Well, well, I mean, you know, it, it is individual for every person in terms of what sure. the, they sense their calling is. Um, I never saw youth ministry as my stepping stone. In fact, I, I kind of begged God to let me stay there. Um, yeah. But at, at some point, his will and plan became more important than my, you know, my desires, sure. right? And so it became yeah. clear to me that I was growing some level of influence with people um, who were beyond the youth ministry, you know, and, um, you know, my gifts matched the local church quite well, like in terms of my upfront gifts, yeah. my communication gifts, um, um, yeah. and, and a large church. Um, so, um, you know, the large church has a different dynamic as well. So not, it doesn't fit everybody, but for me, it did. It, it sure. worked. It, it, it's been, a, it's been a benefit and a blessing to me. Um, and so I think for, for my journey, it was basically coming to that place where I felt like, you know, it's hard to believe it, but I'm, I'm now finally feeling as though this is not fulfilling. This is not hitting the mark any longer. Yeah. And, and you know what, I want to just say, um, specifically that sometimes we get restless, but that's, that's not what I felt. I didn't feel a sense of like. I want to do this somewhere else or I want to, I I just want a different experience. It wasn't boredom or, or that kind of restlessness. It was this deep sense of like uprooting in my soul and shifting. You know, if I was going to stay in youth ministry, I would have just stayed at my church. If I was going to stay in young adult ministry, I would have just stayed in my church. Um, And and obviously I'm a pretty strong advocate for, you know, staying put, I've been here 18 years and in many different roles. And so it it was just, it was an, it was something I could no longer resist. It became that apparent that this is what needed to happen for me. And so I began to talk to my lead pastor about it. Those are scary conversations. Not everybody responds um, in the same way. Some, some people begin to share and they regret sharing I didn't have that experience. In fact, my lead pastor said to me, Andy, I'm surprised it's been this long that you've waited to have this wow. conversation with me. So, um, so wow. yeah, so we began to have that conversation. I was prepared to plant. Um, in fact, I've always loved okay. church planting. Um, I'm currently yeah. on the lead team for ARC Canada, which is a church planting movement. Um and and right. so as a, as a result, I've always loved church planting and thought, man, I'm going to be a planter. And so I began to talk to my lead pastor about that. And um, boy, right. I can't say enough about about Ron, Ron Machowski, my lead pastor, the guy I followed here. He was here for 25 years and we had some some wow. really significant conversations during that journey. And one of the things that he said to me was. Um, you know, Andy, I've decided that I'm actually going to move out of the way and make space for you to lead here. And, and I know that that's not, you know, he said, I can't make that decision. The church has to make that decision based on our governance model and so on. But sure. I'd like to make space for you. And I was so surprised by that. And, and, you know, his thought process was so interesting to me. He actually said to me, you know, Andy, if, 
If I leave, the people will forgive me. If you leave, they may never forgive me. And I thought, wow, wow. what a tremendous vote of confidence, wow. you know, um, that I had garnered yeah, his love and support to that level that he believed in me um, in that way. So not every young leader is going to have that experience. I know. Um, sure. And so, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't want to project my experience onto somebody else's. Um, but but that that's the way it happened for me. So young leaders thinking about t- stepping into lead pastor roles, I, I think it has to be a real sense of like divine providence from God that you're going to take an existing yeah. work and move it forward. It's good. It's not an easy task. Yeah. It's not. My church is 96 or 97 years old. Um, lots of history. And, wow. and it's hard to move a big ship like that. Um, it's hard to yeah. move um, something down the field. That's been that's been a tremendous challenge for me. So, so circumstantially, I mean, I would say you have to look at each situation uniquely. Oh, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. You, uh, you just spoke a moment ago, just, you know, alluded to some of the challenges of, of lead pastoring and, you know, it's so tough to, to turn a big ship Mm -hmm. and, and move something down the field when it's been established, you know, and there's so many, traditions and various things that are ingrained in the DNA of a, of a group of people like that. Um, I'm wondering if there's any other specific challenges, you know, just in lead pastoring. I know just even in leadership, you, we learn so many times that problems aren't always problems to be solved, but more tensions to be managed. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering as a lead pastor, what are, what are some of the challenges you've run into, you know, in the past six years that have, that have, would kind of fit that category more, not necessarily problems to be solved, but just constant tensions to manage. And and how are you, you know, or how have you developed skills to manage those tensions over the past six years? Yeah, I, I would say that you can't understand the weight or the responsibility until you sit in the chair. And so I really identify with what you shared a moment ago, Jeremy, about being the younger leader and saying like, man, when it's my turn, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Um, and then yeah. you sit in the chair and you sit under the weight and the responsibility of it. And you you begin to reflect on these people and these individual lives and the years of investment into something. And, and, yeah. and the weight of that should cause a level of sobriety for you in terms of thought. And so... So for me, that was the journey. I sat under the weight for a while, made a determination that we were going to hold the course the way it was for some time, um, even though yeah. I was very anxious for change. Um, I, and I knew because of my years there what needed to be changed. I had a very long list of things that needed sure, change sure. and needed attention and needed to be punted or reshaped or whatever. And so... But I was patient. I think that was one of the things that uh, I'm really grateful to the Lord um, for is that I was able to garner a level of spirit-inspired patience to just yeah. endure under what was and to love what is before you before I changed it. Because if you don't sure. love it, you'll kill it. If you don't love it, you'll damage it. Mm. You got to love it first. Mm. In fact, I think the only reason why... Um, Ron was so ready to hand me the role is because I had as a young leader proven to him over my time there that I loved the church as much as he did. 
And, wow, and I so think good. that there's a lot of young leaders that really want the opportunity, but don't love the house. Don't love the people. Mm. Don't, don't love wow. the community. Don't, they love the opportunity, but they haven't developed that deep abiding shepherding wow. love. And so, you know, that, that for me is certainly a key. Um, and so then you're shepherding people, um, but the 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 areas of change, Jeremy, are literally endless. I could like we could spend all day talking and unearthing sure, all sure. the areas of change and shifting and adjustments that now have been done over these last six years. But I started yeah. with the team. That's where I started was with the staff because I knew I needed the right people in the right seat on the bus, as Jim Collins says. So um, so getting yeah. them there was really important. So that became my priority. I said, listen, we're going to let the church run as it has. The pe- This is what I said. The people who are here are here because they like it, not because they don't. So let's keep that in mind right. before we change anything. Understand right. the people sitting in those pews, because we have pews, are sitting there because they like what they have. So let's not be in a rush to right. change that. Uh, assuming that they want what we want. So, so I just focused on the team. Right. We, we built That's the good. team. That's good. Great segue, Andy, into my next question. Um, I want to switch gears, not necessarily switch gears, but I want to move into some ministry specific questions. And Andy, it doesn't take a person very long looking at your current staff. And you just alluded to the staff changes. Those were the primary changes you made when you took over and sat in that seat of, of being the lead pastor but it, it's really easy to see, you know, one just has to go to your website and look at the staff directory. And it's very easy to see that you have a very young staff. And and this is some of the, the things that you spoke about at that conference where I heard you. And I'm wondering if you talk to us for a moment. Um, first of all, what, is that coincidence <laughs> or was that intentional? And if it is intentional, why have you leaned so young when it comes to your mm. current staff? Yeah, it was certainly intentional. Um, you know, I, I, because of my years in youth ministry and my years amongst people younger than me, um, I believe in the potential of the generations under me, you know, coming up. Right. And and I've I've right. always wanted to garner their enthusiasm and capacity and so on. And so for me, it wasn't unnatural. And and in truth, um, I was the associate at the church that I'm now the lead. And so for many years, I had the privilege of bringing suggestion and direction to staffing. And so I was able to position younger people under an older leader and work as a bridge between the two, uh, being, being an exer okay. myself, I'm really kind of sitting right in the middle with uh, an ability, yep. sort yep. of a bridge generation, you know, able to understand the boomers totally. and, and, um, maybe it's easier for me with millennials in terms of getting in their head and getting in their hearts, um, and garnering their support. And so, um, so kind of standing in the middle of that was my role for quite some time. Um, during my times in my young adult ministry years, we had a, a, an incredible intern program. And through that intern program, I basically built our staff. So these were all young people just coming out of high school, um, maybe in okay. university, getting their degrees, but right. looking for an opportunity to make a difference. And so we had, you know, we'd have 30, um, and those became, that became quite a pool if you will, for, for, for saying, Hey, interested in being on, on our staff. And so we, so I built the team that way. And then, 
And then it, I just sort of, ha- when I took the, the role as lead pastor, the internship, we shut that down. We've done a few other things since then, but that, that season ended, but I've lived off the residual of that. And many of my staff came up first as an intern of mine um, and now are, are on our team. So a lot of homegrown um, uh, leaders, yeah. uh, some, some of which yeah. you have mentioned. You mentioned Lucas. Lucas was one of my early interns. He and his wife, Trina, were both interns and, um, and kind of homegrown that way. Okay. Um, and, and now he's sort Very of our cool. campus lead for our largest campus. Um, um, and, uh, and it just does a great job for me. Wow. No, that's awesome. And I want to, I want to keep going in that vein in just a moment, but before we get to that, um, just because you just mentioned it, what are the benefits real quick off the top of your head? What's the, what's the plus side mm-hmm. of homegrown, as you said, you know, the, the build, build mm-hmm. a leader versus buy a leader, yeah. kind, of, kind of that type of mindset. Um, well, I mean, I, I think it's about DNA really. Uh, like we have a very specific ministry stream and, a, a, you know, specific passions and people who have connected with us through the years and have been a part of our church because they like it, you know, um, have, in my opinion, a much greater capacity to, to lead amongst us. So, so there's a, there's a benefit there. You don't worry about why they're there. Um, you know, one of the, one of my teachings that I do, um, is based on, on, um, on Jesus's teaching, um, about the, the shepherd and the, the, the shepherd who cares for the sheep versus the hired hand who runs away when the wolf comes. And that particular teaching that right. I do with our, right. with our teams, I always do it with any new staff coming in as well. And, and I say, you know, you've, you've, you've either grown up here and you're already a son or daughter of this house, or you, you're coming here and you need to quickly become a son or daughter of the house because we don't have right. hirelings. You know, we don't right. we don't have people on our staff because yeah, we pay them good. and because we're a great opportunity. We we only have people on our staff because yeah. they feel like a son and a daughter of the house and they invest that way. So so you know, you have to wow. you have to quickly make that transition uh from being a hireling to that's being good. a shepherd. And, and so that's easier for someone who's, you know, been around and knows your vision, knows your heart, has sat under your leadership, has chosen it as their option in, in the variety of options in our city. And they believe in the vision, you know, and so, so you, you have, you have a lot greater buy-in, you know, a lot greater buy-in right away. So I do really believe in that. It it doesn't always happen. Sometimes you need levels of expertise that you don't yeah. have, but our goal is always homegrown. Right. Andy, I want to go back to something you said uh, a little bit ago. You said you're a Gen Xer and, and kind of, you know, um, one of the roles you have fulfilled over the years is is just being a bridge builder, you know, millennials to boomers mm-hmm. and kind of understanding both. And that just resonates so much with me because I feel like that's exactly my Mm -hmm. role right now. This season in my life is doing exactly a lot of that and a lot of bridge building because I do, uh, I understand boomers. I I think I've gained the respect of many of the boomers as well as having the respect of millennials and and younger. And so um, I really do feel called to that for this season of my life. And 
no shock to many who would who would kind of you know know that landscape a little bit that would be listening today but many of the tensions i often find myself in in the midst of have to do with staff dynamics and which often relate to generational mm-hmm. differences and perspectives and i'm wondering i'd love to ask you and just get your opinion on this get your insight but what have been some of the largest contributors to these generational tensions i'll call them in the past and even currently today in the church, what, what do you think is the largest contributors to those hmm. from both yeah. sides? I mean, obviously the, it, I would, I would probably lean mostly into culture, Jeremy, because I think that's where a lot of these disconnects okay. lie is in culture. So, you know, we have for the first time in right. history, five generations still living within the same time frame, Right. Um, and that's just because our medical system is doing right. a really good job of keeping people alive. Uh, and, and so as a result, you have sure. very yeah. young and very old still within, you know, the living years within a culture. And that is, that is phenomenal and unprecedented. And so no wonder there's this clash of ideals and preferences. Whereas before one generation would have either been so frail, so weak, so old that they would have no longer been around. Right. Um, right. or one generation would have been, you know, so young and, and still in formative years. But now we have this very interesting clash where you have generations that are trying to coexist and live together. So we still have builders and then we have, we, you know, we have young people that yeah. are still yet to be defined in terms of their, their generational traits. And so, and they're all coexisting. So yeah. it's actually quite amazing time to live in. And so there is a lot of sociological study that could be done about this just in culture. But I think the orientation of a uh, boomer is probably the biggest challenge. Um, Not to put all the onus on them, but what I, it's the place where I've seen the greatest tension on both sides. Boomers grew up uh, under builders. Builders were people who had vision and had a uh, capacity to expand. And then the, the boomers came in, right. Um, sort of post-war boomers came in and the boomers had this sense that they were um, going to take it further. That was their goal. Take it further, go further. And, and so they, they don't understand a mindset right. beyond them that doesn't want that same goal. That was their complete orientation. Take it further. And, and so now, we've got millennials who are saying, hold on a second. We don't want to take it further. We want to go in a totally different direction. And and beyond that, we don't even value what you value, what you actually want to hand us. We're not that interested in taking. So they're going like, why don't you want what I want? And so that is probably the greatest challenge that I've seen is between, you know, the boomer and the millennial. And so being an Xer, which is a great dip in, um, in birth rate. Why? Well, because the boomers wanted to take it further. So they had less children, right? They grew up in big families and they didn't want that because they had goals outside of the home and in business and so on and so forth. So they had smaller families. So that's me. My parents are boomers. And so all these, you know, there's like in the U S that's the only stats I have. It's like 60 million boomers, 40 million Xers, 60 million millennials, right? So it's like this dip, this blip on the screen. And that's where I'm at. I'm in that valley. Um, And so 
as a result, there's not enough of yeah. us to take over in the workplace, in the church world. And so there's this, this tension of boomers trying to hand off ministry to millennials. And millennials are going, no thanks, right? Like, I don't want this. And if you want me to do it, yeah. get out of my way and yeah. let me do it. I'm going to do it totally different. And that's really, really hard for a boomer. Right. So here, here's a thought I'll share with you. Wow. Um, for a boomer, the, the, the sort of idea is that opportunities are given as reward for what you've already done, right? So in other words, if you do, if you do a good job with what I gave yep. you, in other words, you do what I want you to, then I'll give you something else. I'll withhold opportunity and right. I will give it to you as a reward. And, and that orientation, you know, right. is very clear in the life of a boomer. Um, but what I've discovered is that for a millennial, opportunity is not reward. Opportunity is fuel. And if you take away opportunity, you take away my fuel. I have no gas in the tank left. If you take wow. away opportunity or you withhold opportunity, I burn up all the opportunity that you've given me. And if you don't feel satisfied with what I've done with it and you don't give me more opportunity, then I will dry up. And that's why uh, millennials move around a lot because the opportunities stop. There's no fuel wow. left and they need to go find new fuel. So they go for a new opportunity, yeah. right? So this, this to me has been the greatest wow. um, probably discovery with my millennial staff is that I have to give them greater opportunities than were ever given to me at their age because I don't see opportunity as a reward. I see it as fuel. So, so mm. the orientation so shifts, good. it shifts from this sort of boomer mentality, yeah. which is watch weight and reward. That's kind of the boomer mentality to, to the way I lead now, right. which is I will engage, I will invest and then I'll expect I'll expect that as I've engaged and invested there, you're going to go for it and you're going to do something and it's going to be great. So it's very positive. Yeah. It's very optimistic. It gives me a lot of room for collaboration. It also gives me a lot of space to mentor and to share what I see because I gave you opportunity. I invested an opportunity. I'm engaging with you and now I'm looking to the results of how that went and that's how I'm going to teach you. So yeah, so opportunity has to become fuel wow. versus reward. And that's that is in the hands of the boomer. Wow, that was so insightful. I'm just <laughs> uh, I can't write fast enough here. I'm taking notes, Andy, and this is so good. And uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's obviously uh, going to help me in my dynamic in my context of ministry right now too as I kind of Again, play the role of bridging the gap a bit. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, I'm wondering if you would drill a little bit deeper even. You mentioned just some, you know, some things that have helped you, a more philosophical mindset in helping you lead the millennials on your current staff. I'm wondering if you'd drill down, just go a little deeper on that and maybe share a few best practices or even how that translates to everyday ministry, mm -hmm. what that would look like for you as you lead your staff. I know there's you know, boomers out there leading, trying to lead millennials. Some it's going well, some not so well. And I'm just wondering, you know, even helping them and even some Gen X leaders, um, 
what that would look like, how that would translate in everyday yeah, that's very good. in the church context. I mean, I think all of our environments have become way more collaborative. And at first, I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I mean, I use the word collaborative a lot now. But at first, I yeah. didn't know what that meant. Collaboration was right. you can sit at the table quietly. That was collaboration. Don't say too much. You learn, I'll lead. Mm. And that's really shifted to, for me, where like our our environments are, first of all, a deep, you know, um, appreciation for the individual. So we create a high value on family. That's just my way. Not everybody does it. But my way is like, man, this is our family. We're sons and daughters of this house. We're together in this journey. And so your, your thoughts matter, your journey matters. Let's talk about that. So I do spend a lot of time relationally just with care for my team. Here's, here's the, the thought process that I use with that. You know, Paul talks about the Corinthians and he's correcting them and directing them. And he says to them something very specific. He says, you don't have many fathers, you know? You may have lots of brothers and sisters, but you don't have many fathers. And what he was saying is, I'm going to be a father to you. And I really think that that role, what does a good father do? A good father puts his arm around you. He cares about you. He's, he's, he's listening to you. And then based on what you share with him, he's going to direct you. Like, I think we assume that millennials don't want to be directed. No, they do. They're desperate for it. But they also want to yeah, be heard. That's right. Yeah. They, they don't want to just sit quietly, yeah. yes, sir, no, sir. They want you to put your arm around them. They want you to father them and, and listen to them, hear what they're saying, and then direct them out of that versus here's what you got to do, hard no's, hard yeses, um, hard lines. Let's talk about that. What is it that, you know, is shift? What, what, do you, what, yeah. what drives that thinking? What am I, this is a question I use. What am I missing as a leader? What am I missing? What am I not seeing? So again, for me, the orientation has moved good. to understanding that I have to become a learner and a listener in a brand new way. Um, it doesn't mean I stop being a father. Right. I just, I just position myself to say, I only know what I know. And I can tell you how we used to do it. And sometimes I need to tell you why we do it that way. Because because of what was, now here we are. So how do we get from where we are to where yeah. you're at? Because, you know, you're going to drive the future. So I, I think that that journey for me has been really good. I think that context of a boomer seeing themselves as a father. And, and, and maybe you didn't have a good example good. of that as a boomer. And maybe you haven't even done a great job of that with your own kids as a boomer. But you have an opportunity with these young staff because they're hungry to be fathered. They really are. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I totally agree. I just, yeah, affirm everything you just said. And Andy, you, you know, you've, you've spoke into a boomer's life who might be listening today. Um, and, and you've talked about the responsibility, not all of it, but largely, you know, is, is placed to, to the boomers because for many of them, they hold the, the highest leadership positions that, mm-hmm. that can influence some of these dynamics we're speaking about. But what's one thing you'd maybe say to a younger leader, maybe a millennial out there or even younger than a millennial that might be holding a leadership position and is just really, really struggling in their relationship with an older leader? What would you, 
What would you speak to yeah, them? What would you share with good. them? I mean, I, I'm just going to keep them. it simple because it's very, it is very complex and it yeah. would be individual depending on the person I was talking to. But just in a, a general sense, one of the things that I found myself saying early to my millennial staff was, why are you in such a hurry? And the reason why I say that mm. is because I want them to ask themselves that question. Why are you in such a hurry? Yeah. What is it that drives the rush? Why do you feel that God is not able to take you from where you are to where you need to be? What's the hurry? Because I find that there's an angst that's been built up in the culture about achievement and yeah. flash fame and, um, you know, viral um, videos and stuff that then end up, you totally. know, bringing people to the forefront. Um, and, and we have a sense that that could be our path. But my big question is, why are you in such a hurry? Yeah. I, I mean, I have really ambitious, young, energetic, high capacity leaders. And I have to ask them all the time, why are you in a hurry? Remember what I said to you about my greatest, my, what was my greatest asset in taking on the leadership of this church was my ability to be patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you yeah. know, that's a fruit of the spirit, yeah. right? So, so it, it if I'm speaking yeah. to a young leader, you know your situation more than I do, but let me just challenge you with that question. Why are you in such a hurry? Are you able to trust God for your future? Are you able to trust God for what he's doing in the process? Uh, and understand this, that your character will become your ceiling, right? And so, so God yeah. won't give you, won't give you opportunities that your character won't allow you to maintain. And so don't get in That's a hurry. Right. Don't let your opportunities run ahead of your, your depth and your character that's that needs to be developed. So so I think that's a good mm. question for even for a millennial to ask themselves when they feel that angst rising up, right? Or even someone younger than a millennial. Let's take yeah. that title away. Just a young leader. Why the angst? Yeah. Why the rush? Yeah. Why the hurry? Why the impatience? And um and and then just begin to ask God about that and drill down on character. Because that'll create a uh, certainly a, a larger playing field and a higher ceiling for you. Oh, that's awesome, Andy. That's been gold. Just uh, that little section alone, just uh, you know, um, older and younger leaders and, and dynamics that are created because of you know different perspectives, different upbringings, um, and, and the different uh, cultural realities to uh to the different generations too i just think you spoke so uh so wise to both sides of the equation not that (laughs) it needs to be sides it's like you said you know if more leaders would see it as a family and and that whole bit about um you know needing more fathers i just think is so powerful and so thank you for sharing that I do want to uh switch gears again and get into some of our current um current realities, the current landscape of our world. And uh, I know this is a a leadership podcast and there's business leaders out there listening as well as church leaders. And primarily we we gear this more towards church leaders, but but many business leaders have commented and said they're getting lots of of good stuff out of this too. So with that in mind, um, and just the, I mean, we've got all sorts going on today as this is recorded and June 11th, I think we are today. Um, we've seen an, a recent uprising and just 
a real unrest, you know, to do with with uh, racial tensions that are existing in our world today. And then we've got this COVID crisis we're in the midst of, and many that are re-engaging and and starting to reopen their buildings. Um, and, but it's been some real significant times that we've been living and not just living. This is a leadership podcast. And so we're talking primarily to leaders today. And so, Andy, I'm wondering from your perspective, um, what's been let's start with COVID for a minute and just the realities of, of coronavirus. You know, it's been weeks now, a few months that we've been living under certain restrictions. And I know many of those restrictions are starting to be lifted across the nation of Canada Ontario is still very restricted in various ways, but I know you're out there in BC and some of those have been lifted uh, previous to, to where we are today. But what's been the greatest challenge for you as a lead pastor of a church since COVID-19 hit with all the restrictions in place? If you could nail, like what, what are maybe one or two or even three of the major challenges that you've been faced up against since, since COVID-19 mm, yeah, restrictions yeah. hit? Well, I mean, my wife and I and our children were actually um, out of the country when everything started to go crazy here in in Canada. And um, we started getting texts okay. and phone calls and emails saying, you got to come home, you got to come home. Um, they're shutting down the borders, they're closing up right. the airports, <laughs> you know, you got to get home. And so yeah. you know, we were kind of on some of the last wow. flights out of our Mexico all-inclusive experience to get home to Canada. Um, and so, you know, our experience was we came home to a completely different place than we left. And so that was a bit jarring for us um, upon our return. So we had to manage yeah. sort of the, the, you know, the storm, if you will, from being remote. You know, I even did, I did interviews with newspapers right. from Mexico uh, and, um, you know, wow. we have, we were on the front page of the times colonist, which is our big paper, um, about online services. Um, we ended up on the news a couple of times. Um, and so there was a lot to manage, uh, wow. in those early moments. And, and I would say, you know, once I got my feet under me, cause when we came home, actually, I, I ended up getting COVID-19 and was restricted to my basement for three weeks oh, wow. away from my family. Very, very sick. And I know, I know different people have had different experiences wow. with COVID-19, but for me, it was, it was pretty bad. It was, it, it, it flattened me out for wow. close to th the full three weeks. And, um, and it was, it was, it was tough. It was a tough time to try to lead through, um, you know, having emergency board meetings, doing, doing business, uh, releasing oh, staff man. to EI. Um, uh, we, we went through it all. So, um, so, I mean, the question about, COVID and the changes, it's like, what didn't change, right? Everything changed, everything changed and, right. and potentially right. may never return to what it was. Um, a post COVID world yep. will just look different yep. than a pre COVID world as many have already said. So, totally. so yeah, I think, I think the greatest challenge for me was remembering that good leaders in times of crisis don't have to have all the answers. They just have to cope. That's what good leaders do in crisis is they cope. They cope with the crisis. And so right. that to me was a great yeah. relief when I came to a place where I realized, you know what, I'm going to cope through this crisis and we're going to respond. This isn't, you can't, you know, the vision person in me, the leader in me wants to be ahead of what's coming next. Well, that's not possible. 
when things are changing sure. every single day, you are left to respond. The government puts out a new program. You respond to it. The restrictions tighten. You respond to it, you know? And so, so it wasn't about in crisis. Yeah. It wasn't about being the guy out in front who knew the future. I was not a fortune teller, but I, but I found my strength in just yeah. saying, okay, we're going to cope. We're going to cope with this piece. And now we're going to cope with the next piece. And, um, when, when you're in crisis, yeah. leaders just lead it, You know, I talked about collaboration. I talked about, um, getting people's opinions and voices around the table and so on and how important that is, but not in crisis. When, when you're in a storm, the captain grabs the, right. the wheel of the ship and leads you through the storm. And so that's what I did. I just made decisions. It wasn't in a vacuum, yeah. but it was with a really yeah. small group and they were quick decisions. You know, my executive team, um, and that yeah. was about it. So, so it was a new, a, a new season wow. for us. Um, of course, as it was for everybody else. So, I mean, to your, to your question, I would say, I would say letting myself off the hook about being the sensational, extraordinary savior of the team and the church and everything else. And just come to that place sure. where it's like, okay, sure. God, you saw this coming. I didn't, but you did. And, uh, you're going to help me cope. Yep. No, oh, that's good. I think that's just, I think that's freeing actually, Andy, for you to say that and for other leaders to hear another incredible leader like yourself say that it just kind of, you know, it allows leaders to take a bit of a deep breath because this, this has been hard. It's been challenging on everyone in all sorts of different ways. You know, we see the, the posts and the taglines out there. We're in this together well, sure we are, but it's affecting us all in different ways. I like what you said, too, that that in crisis, leaders have to lead. There's a time for collaboration, obviously, and, and involving your whole team in future decisions. But when you're in crisis, a leader, like you said, has to take the helm and just lead. And you you really do uh, lessen your team and, and uh, you know, don't do it in a vacuum, like you said, but but the team becomes much smaller because you've got to make way faster decisions in real time. Right. And so you, you can't necessarily collaborate at the same level. Mm -hmm. um, Andy, I'm wondering what the greatest, I think you, from what the sense I get and just even speaking with some of your staff in, in years past and, and what I see and gather even from social media, you guys are a vibrant church. Like you, you are leading, you know, on the edge, forward thinking of, of what the future church needs to look like already. And so this is, response is going to be different than, than some of our churches for sure. But, but what's been the greatest opportunity that you've found amidst this current pandemic? Obviously, it has its challenges and everything else. But I also know that crisis is also, uh, you know, as much as we could talk obstacles, it's, it's a it's a breeding ground for opportunity as well. And so I'm wondering if you'd speak to, if any at all, if you've seen any real significant opportunities mm. you've found in the midst of this. Well, I would say that firstly, you know, we we're getting to know our people again, um, which is really interesting. I mean, right. like we're a very large church. Um, we're, you know, just somewhere around the 2000 mark with, uh, three campuses. And, uh, we had planned to launch our fourth campus, um, in September, of course, we put that on hold for the new year. But, um, right. but being a large church, you you can feel quite disconnected at times. And so, for us, getting reconnected with our people has just become something that's be been a real joy. Like we've 
you know, broken down our, 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 um, our database and made hundreds of hundreds, thousands of calls. And, um, we're just about to start a second round of those calls after a survey that we put out. So we're gleaning information and now we're going to respond again with another call. So, yeah. So, so that's been really good to get to know our people again, individually, specifically hearing their stories, um, hearing from them, um, has been really, really good. Um, we've seen small groups as more of a, a lifeline than ever before. Um, and, and that's been really cool as well, just to, to see the potential of online small groups and to watch small groups grow. One, one of our young adult women talked to us about how her small group went from five meeting together to 30 meeting on zoom and, and how that response was just based on need and wanting to connect and a lot of barriers being removed. So I think one of the things we've sure. learned is that you can do relationship online um, yeah. and you can be honest and transparent. In fact, some people are more honest, more transparent yeah. um, totally. with that barrier of saying I'm, I'm in my most comfortable place. I'm in my home and I'm going to just yep. share honestly with people who I know are, are in the same space in their same most comfortable space. So, you know, we're unearthing the essentials as well, like sort of like, okay, What is it that really matters when it's, you know, this has been a stripping away. Um, I like what Nikki Gumbel said uh, from Holy Trinity Brompton. He said, when COVID hit, we realized that our church and our whole movement has now become a startup again. In other words, we don't know what, what we're going to be on the other side of this, but we got to treat this like something that's brand new because it's just not the same thing. Um, And so we're unearthing the essentials. What is it that we, that we need to do in order to care for people, to reach people with the gospel, to make sure that Jesus is being glorified, that people are able to take next steps, like all these essentials. How do we make sure that that begins to happen? And so that, that was sort of like, you know, everything crumbled. We all drew back. We said, we're going to maintain our Sunday experience with our, with our online church, uh, church at home. And then, yeah, from there, we, we caught our breath and began to ask ourselves, what is essential? What is it that helps people take next right. steps, even when they can't be in the same space? And so, so that's been kind of the oh, journey. And good. it's been really fun. I got to be honest, it's been fun. At first, I was, I, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a crybaby, but I am, I am a crier. And I spent a whole, yeah. a whole day, a whole Thursday, I remember it was a Thursday, just crying, just feeling like I was mourning yeah. what we had lost. Yeah. And what wow. what things that I really appreciated about the church that we couldn't experience right now and was unsure about what when that experience would return and if it returns, what it's going to look like, you know? And so, right. so, yeah, so there was a lot of mourning. But in that, then you mourn, you go ahead and walk through the mourning time and then yep. you start to, okay, Lord, bring the vision back. Let's get going. That's it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, thanks for being so transparent. Uh, it's obviously you know, um, you've learned so much through it. And uh, every crisis is also, crisis is often sometimes the best Mm. teacher in our lives Mm -hmm. too. Uh, Andy, I I know you, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you don't just lead Glad Tidings Church, you sit on the lead team for ARC, you know, which is a church planning movement. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you, you know, you have your hand in, 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 in your voice, 
in other people and other churches and their leadership and what's going on, not just there in Victoria, but even across Canada and beyond. And I'm wondering if there's any concern in your heart these days. I know everyone's kind of getting to that place where we're allowed to reopen our buildings again, churches are, um, to return to a physical gathering, a location. Obviously, you know, not at full capacity yet for most places, but everyone, this is staged, right? And there's phases to it and everything else. I'm wondering if you if you have or even maybe even speak to your own context first and then maybe to other churches or things you're seeing and hearing from other leaders, but any concerns about churches that are able to go back to meeting in a physical space? And if so, what are, what are your concerns? And again, you can start with, with glad tidings there first um, before anything else. Yeah. I, I think for glad tidings, cause it's such a large ship. It does seem like it is so far away. Like, the idea that um, that we would uh, get back together in the church context it, it just seems like <laughs> it just seems like that's a long way from now so so that's right, that's right. something that we've just had to own it's something that I've even had to share with my um, with my church in some updates and reports just listen we're gonna have to get good at what we're doing um, and and, right. and my my perspective is until we can do, in-person gatherings better than what we're doing online. It doesn't make much sense for us to come back to Mm. services. Now, some people are taking another approach and I may have to change that if it gets to be a really long time and and we just sense that we need to do something. But right now that's my orientation. Um, We're doing online with excellence. And so we're going to continue to do that. I think for, you know, like I said, with our campus, we had to put it on hold, our campus launch. And so it has affected the vision. Uh, we were building momentum and raising funds for our next launch, um, our next campus. And now we right. have had to come to a full stop on that. And that's been the case with many of our church plants, even across Canada, with what we're doing with ARC. Um, many of them have hit the pause button. Um, with a, right. With a couple of exceptions, it's been really hard for people to meet their markers in terms of church planters saying, okay, I need to have this many people on my team. I need to have these many dollars in the bank. I need to hit these targets. It's hard to do that in a COVID crisis. Sure. Uh, With the exception of one of our churches, which has actually done incredibly well with pivoting to online and raising all their funds and building their launch team through an online platform. Um, And so, so, so yeah, hats off to them, but uh, for the most part, you know, um, it's it's uh, it's a season to just hold tight and to try to walk through it. So, you know, I've seen churches gathering with people in masks. I haven't been pumped on worship with masks. I haven't I, I haven't right. been excited about preaching with a mask. Um, yeah. You know, and so, again, when when those are the kind of restrictions in place, I'm sort of wondering, is that a better experience when we have a, a right. building right. that seats a thousand and we can only have 50 people in it? Is that a win? 50 people yeah. socially distanced. Is that what you think of when you say, let's go back to church together? Let's let's worship right. together. Is that what you see? No, I don't think it's what you see. I think you see something that was before. Um and, right. and, and it's just not, not a reality. So, oh, that's so good. yeah, that's kind of where we're at with it. I mean, I think the big question is once we do go back, once things do reopen and once we are meeting regularly, 
then comes the task of recognizing that, you know, we'll have 6,000 viewers, um, over, over a weekend and on into the next week. Um, and so that's, that's worth maintaining, you know, um, and that's worth stewarding. And so how do you continue the excellence online and go back to the excellence you had in person? How do you maintain both of those? And I think that is for some of us going to be a major, major shift. Do you shift it to where you actually put the focus still on the online experience and the benefit of, of live is that you're live (laughs) and that's it, that you're live or, or do you run two parallel um, experiences? Do you film something during the week that then goes on your live stream versus, you know, like right now we do everything in a studio format. So it's, it's, it's not, we're not, we're, we went off of our stage. We went living room. Um, we produce right. all of our, our worship music from varied locations and then it's put together by our team. I mean, so, so that's yeah. a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous, um, amount of time for our staff. How would we, how for would sure. we maintain that and go back to live? That, that to me is one of the major challenges. Yeah, no, that's, that's real talk as, uh, as the kids say, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's managing those tensions, asking those clarifying questions, like what's the best thing to do with the current landscape and, and what we currently know. And we don't know the future. None of us, like you said, are, you know, are fortune tellers or anything like that. And so it's, it's navigating. Yeah. Those really, really, uh, tough questions to ask. What's, what's the best thing to do in, in this situation, um, I, I've heard somebody say it before. I forget which leader it was, but just talking about, you know, in the future, post COVID churches, you know, that are thriving and seeing success and, and advancing the kingdom will no longer be, you know, live physical churches with an online presence in the new normal churches will be present online and may have a physical location. Mm-hmm. But that will become the new, you know, majority, the priority will be the online presence. I think that's one thing that's definitely been established through mm-hmm. this, this whole COVID is, is just the importance. That's where people are. That's where society is. Everybody's online, yeah. you know, um, at least in this Western world, North America, as we know it anyways. Well, so and, and, I think that those are good questions. And you know, Jeremy, to your point there, I, I think it's really important for us to recognize what God might be up to in the middle yeah. of all this, because, you know, why would we expect that God would send a worldwide move a revival and not use the yeah. internet? It's the cheapest yeah. and most effective way to spread the yeah. gospel and it's very cost effective. And so, but we, as the North American church had levels of resistance and, and yeah. through the COVID experience, many of those levels of resistance have been removed and and totally. so oh man i just i can i can That's get excited good. and pretty pretty pumped up yeah. on the idea that this is positioning us for some really good movements yeah no i totally agree well it's been so good andy i want to ask you one more more of a sensitive topic before we uh, close this off and i do appreciate your time today so much but um you know especially you've got 
not just Canadian, but you've got an American perspective too that I'd love to get your take on this. But you've seen, you know, the past couple of weeks, the media has been flooded just with the, you know, we alluded to it back at the beginning, the racial unrest mm-hmm. and the injustices that have been taking place. And not just now, they've been taking place for years. It's just the, the media is elevating. We're hearing, they're being filmed more, these situations of injustice and uh, I'm just wondering there in Victoria what you're sensing, what you're seeing. And, and you know, I was even before this interview getting prepped for this, I, I had checked out your most recent service online. And I know you had a little message at the at the conclusion of your most recent service just about what's going on in the world. And, and you know, I know, you know, us as two white male privileged, you know, people on a podcast, who are we to say anything about what's been going on? However, because of, you know, our upbringings and different experiences, you know, I think we all need to be a part Mm -hmm. of this. And I think the church has been so silent in the past on issues of race and and various issues of systemic oppression and, and various things. And so, Andy, I'm wondering just if you would allow us to go there and be transparent enough to just share what you're thinking of all of this and you as a, as a white evangelical leader, church leader, um, you know, are, are you guys taking steps? Have you done anything beyond of what I just saw in an online service at the, are you doing things beyond that having conversations and just, you know, what have you guys decided even as a staff that, that you can be or should be, or if anything, maybe you don't feel you need to be doing anything. Uh, I'm open to that perspective as well, but love to hear your thoughts on that before we finish today. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Um, you know, for us as a church, it has been a slow awakening to realities well beyond Victoria. Um, um, we do have a multicultural right. church in that um, we're sort of the large church on Vancouver Island. So, and we're in the capital city. So there's lots of immigrants that come here and land here and they've, a lot of them bring faith with them from their home countries and they join us. And so we, we've had a beautiful landscape of, of multi-ethnic church fabric for quite some time. Um, and so we have had some levels of exposure and I have many friends who are black, many friends who are from other countries in the world. And, and I'm, I'm yeah. blessed because of that. So, um, so I have that experience in Canada and in my own church. I also, like you said, I did grow up in the United States. And so I have seen racism and bias from an American perspective. And then coming to Canada, I have to be honest. My initial response was, I don't see racism in Canada, um, but right. it, because it's different than it is in the United States, sure. it doesn't sure. mean that it, it's not present. And, and so That's the right. discovery for me has been that there is systemic racism in Canada. And um, yeah. I have had to have my black friends help me understand that. So, so totally. yes, we are engaging. Yes, we are having conversation Yes, I I put together some, you know, some for our staff at uh, a recent all staff meeting. I put together a um, theological perspective on how we view race um, and then how we respond to those who are in different spaces in terms of theological perspective that kind of walk through some of Paul's teachings. Um, So that was important. 
Um, I also do have various ethnicities represented on our staff. Um, and, um, and that's been important. So we made space for conversation around some of those ethnic groups that are represented on our staff. Um, so that's been a, an ongoing conversation now. I also filmed a 45-minute interview with um, my friend Andrew Beresford, who is an ARC church planter in Toronto, <clears throat> uh, Serve okay. City Church in Toronto. And yeah, that interview can be on our found on our YouTube page at GT uh, Victoria. Um, you can find our YouTube awesome. page and you could see that 45-minute interview. Um, and then this week we um, used our IG platform, our Instagram platform through what we call Dream Women, which is our women's ministry, to do a conversation between my wife, Lisa, and one of our, our top-level governmental leaders who attends our church, who is uh, Black um, and uh, first-generation Canadian uh, families from Nigeria. And so wow. she told her story. And so we had that conversation. So we are engaging. Awesome. And also, it can't yeah. just be something we do that way. It has to be personal. So that's so right. we just, yeah. you know, Lisa and I, um, we just had a friend over last weekend and just said, just talk to us. And and we cried yeah. together. We just cried. We just cried it's together. Good. I mean, there was yeah. a couple of times she just broke down and we just, we just wanted to hear, you know, and I think that's really, Jeremy, the most important piece right hmm. now. There will be a time hmm. where we lock arms in some, some form of, um, response and solidarity and beyond a protest, um, in like right. progressive and <clears throat> proactive movement. But right now is just our time to listen and to stand with yeah. and to create yeah. a sense of love that flows out of, you're not alone in this. You don't have to just stuff this and you're not going to be ostracized or marginalized for sharing we're listening and we care. And so that's been our perspective as a church. And I think that needs to be the perspective of the church of Canada. Um, Justin Trudeau said it to us that, you know, systemic racism does exist for any ethnic group in Canada. And we need to recognize that and we need to begin to root it out. And so I was grateful to hear that from our national leader. And then also just, just feel like that's the response of the church. You know, you look, you look through the Old Testament, you read all the prophets, what you're going to hear is a cry for justice, you know, a, a justice for yeah. the oppressed. And and so, yeah. you know, God's heart is for the poor. God's heart is for the marginalized. And so we yep. have to respond um, with justice for those who are marginalized. And so, so I have no, you know, no reservation about us jumping in and getting involved. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, again, just the authenticity in which you share. And I know it's a very sensitive issue and, you know, brings up all sorts of different emotions for, for different people, but I'm, yeah, I'm thankful to hear there are church leaders like yourself, Andy, that are actually leaning in and listening like never before. I think that's the start. It's obviously not the end, but Mm -hmm. it's the beginning of, of how we all do our part to bring change in this, this, uh, this area that so drastically and, and desperately needs change mm. to be brought. So thank you for leaning in as another ch- church leader, uh, miles across the country. Thanks for, for being a leader that's leaning in and listening in uh, these times.
Andy, uh, this has been rich. This has been golden. The fact that you would take this amount of time with us and, and help us today. Before we go, a couple quick, quick questions for you. Tell us one book, maybe one favorite leadership resource that might help another leader out there listening that's helped you in the past few years. Well, I certainly would have a long list of books that I would recommend. I mean, there's no doubt that each one of the leaders that are out there are, are reading um, and reading their favorite books. Um, but for me, you know, the book Hero Maker um, has been okay. for me the most influential book that I have read in a number of years. And it's by Dave Ferguson and Warren Bird. Um, and, um, yeah. it's now an audio book as well. So if you want to just listen to it, um, and Dave Ferguson runs exponential, which is a church planting movement. Um, yeah. but the reason why I appreciate the book is because it really fans into flame the passion of my own heart, which is developing leaders and effective yeah. ways to develop leaders. It has for me in the last five years been the most influential book I've read. So that would be my awesome. highest recommendation for those who who want oh, to follow good. up on our conversation today. It's probably the one that's most closely connected. Um, another book that was really impactful to me is called Leadership Pain. Leadership Pain. Yep. Um, and the, the author's name is Chand, C-H-A-N-D. Um, and, um, and Samuel Chand is a tremendous writer and um, is a coach to many high-level Christian leaders. Um, but his book leadership pain helped me so much understand that the threshold for my advancement as a leader is based on my ability to endure pain, um, and discomfort. Mm. And, and so that really, wow. that was another book that's really helped me, um, in the last few years. No, those are two incredible picks. And I encourage every listener out there, if you've never checked them out, check them out. And the fact that Hero Maker comes in audiobook is just, there's no excuses right. <laughs> now because uh, we can all listen. So, uh, again, Andy, thank you. Where can listeners find you online if they want to follow more of your story or reach out and connect in some way, shape, or form? Where can people find yeah, you so, online? Well, our, our church website um, is easy. It's gt.church. So um, all of our content, anything on there um, you know, that you would want would be on our website. Uh, also a way to reach out yeah. to us. So if you need anything, if the, if someone in your listening audience would like to connect or has questions or would even be interested in any of the resources that we offer, they're available. We, we love to uh, share. And, um, and so awesome. we have, you know, anything from, you know, sermon material to, um, um, some of our staff meeting videos, uh, you know, whatever it might be that we have, you certainly wow. and your listeners would be welcome to it. Um, and then just on social media, I, um, I have a Facebook account, but I never go there. So, uh, d don't message <laughs> yeah. me. You'll be disappointed. I hear um, you, but I, yeah. but I am yeah. on Instagram, W a more W a more on Instagram. Um, and, uh, that's probably, that's probably the two best places to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Andy. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know time is a precious commodity, especially in our world today. And so I do appreciate just the exponential amount of time that you've given us today and our listeners. So I really do appreciate it. And, and thanks so much. For My doing pleasure. This. Thanks, Jeremy. Wow. What a life-giving conversation that was with Andy Moore. 
He is just so full of leadership gold. Uh, I couldn't write fast enough as we recorded that back in June 2020. I remember just my hand hurting at the end of that conversation because I was writing so much. And uh, I really do hope that it's been meaningful and it's helped your leadership in some way, shape, or form. And if it has, I want to ask you to take it a step further and go ahead and share that on social media, share the podcast, maybe through Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd even do one more thing, it would hugely help out the podcast and just getting the message out there. And that would be just leaving a review. And if you really do like this and you find this content to be helpful, it help, it lets us know as well that we're actually uh, meeting a need out there. And so if you would do that, that would be so awesome. Well, hey, we've got more podcast interviews and episodes and leadership truths that are coming up in the future. I'm so excited about it, so stay tuned for that. But until next time, peace on your melon. And remember, your leadership really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.